nobody, 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 nobody. Nobody rage short stories. Hey everyone, I'm Jeremy. And I'm Megan. And you're you, and you're watching Nobody Read Short Stories. Yay! So this is the second episode of our second season, and we're continuing with our eerie series of stories for the Halloween season, and we just want to give you a little heads up that there is some graphic imagery and some substance abuse imagery in this story in case you want to sit this one out. And tonight's story is going to run about 45 minutes long. And so now we have uh, tonight's story, which is Increased Tolerance by the wonderful Kay Eason. And it's going to be performed by our very own host, Jeremy Ray, along with Cyan McLaren and John Zelazny. Increased Tolerance by Kay Eason. The emperor lived in a great city and there it was gold and black spread out beneath a jade windowsill past gardens and fountains and a crenellated wall studded with soldiers and spears, so vast that he had not seen all its wonders. And I built the wonders, glittering gems that flashed and winked and beckoned, nor walked all its streets, nor visited. That's stupid, said a little girl, and the hologram froze. Tiny lines spidered along the golden walls, splintered the bold black lines, stress fractures that would shatter the entire image if I didn't level it out, if I couldn't pick up the story's threads. Why doesn't he just, you know, use satellites? Then he'd be able to see the whole thing. If the little brat didn't shut up, I hate test audiences. Eight years old and wiser than Buddha. Sanji was smiling, all teeth and apple cheeks. What a clever little girl. I hate my production manager only slightly less. I could not match Sandy's smile. My teeth stuck together like mud bricks, snagged my lips and strained my voice through the mortar. There are no satellites. The little girl blinked, true astonishment for the first time in the entire beta run. No satellites? No satellites, no computers, no electricity. Silence. She stared at me, her lips puckered into a singularity that pulled her whole face after it, all points converging to one disapproving mouth. That's boring. The edge of my hologram eroded, whole streets crumbled away, that the emperor would never see. The borders contracted, ate one of the wonders whole, and shattered out in glittering electron dust. The emperor wouldn't see it either. The emperor was next. Sanji clamped a hand on my shoulder. Warning, warning, don't offend the revenue stream. There was cancellation in his smile. This is an old story. A man desire something extraordinary, fame, power, immortality, something beyond his best efforts, something he simply can't get on his own. And he wants it so badly, so very, very badly, that he'll pay anything for it, do anything, trade anything. He seeks out someone or something that can grant him the miracle. He doesn't ask about the price. Oh no, desire is everything. So he steps beyond the rational, the sane, and he makes the bargain. He gets what he wants, no money down, cost deferred, 
and he doesn't worry about the final payoff. There is only the now and the sweetness of possession. The man reflected in the high gloss real wood, why yes, this costs more than your year's earnings desk, looked unwell. Hollow eyes with too much white skin stretched over bones. I tried to remember the last time I ate, tried to remember the last time I wanted to. I put the teacup down in the middle of my face and made myself focus on Sanji, who sat on the other side of that formidable desk. Sanji never missed a meal in his life, has never worked his fingertips bloody on quill and keyboard in hollow sketcher. He hasn't ridden the muse either, but he's gotten fat riding me. Yeah, about this morning, I have to be honest with you, Carver, I don't have a lot of faith in this project. One little girl, gentle head shake. Don't interrupt your producer. Creators must be seen and not heard. I think it's the subject matter. I think yeah, it's a little foreign for them. Perhaps, perhaps we can think of something more accessible, you know, a little more realistic. I tried to keep all things unprofessional off my face, made my voice as bland and casual. I'm a fantasist. Well, a little less moralistic then. You know, people want entertainment. I peeled him an insincere smile. I'll see what I can do. We go way back, Sanji and I. He was a production tech when I started. A dozen broadcast awards lined the walls behind him now. Four of them have my name on them too. Creative consultant. Four seasons of acclaim and Sanji's 21st floor office with its view of the bay because of my muse. But I'd overstepped. There are 200 just like me waiting for the callbacks and the blood tests. Sanji knew that. Sanji's eyes were clear, bright, sharp as needles above the honeyed velvet. I'm concerned about you, Carver. You're, you're not looking well. Warning, warning. If producer expresses concern about health when the consultant has failed to create, that isn't friendship. That's the start of the speech. The first step to withdrawal and rehab and living off royalties. Panicked, wiped the smile off my face. Honest fear filled in behind it, like blood in the wake of a razor. An idea, Sanji. I have an idea. One eyebrow half-mooned. Tell me about it. It's... I waved my hands, the plugs winked in my wrists, empty, void, useless without my sketcher. It's, I could show you. Sanji hates raw narrative, says it gives him a headache. I know this, he knows I know. His face creased and his hands joined mine in the air above the desk, cutting motion, clip, snip. And I went limp and terrified in the chair. He knows I'm lying. He's gonna send me to rehab. He's... So, yeah, so tell me about it. Going to call my bluff. I can't yet. It's right up here, but... But... They used to call it writer's block. Now it's called increased tolerance. I need more muse to make it work. Sanji leaned back and spun his own cup and fat manicured fingers. We've already increased your allotment twice since January. You increased the allotment twice this January, but it worked. We got dancing with Stalin and wild horses. Hmm. Sanji gathered his lips in a bow. Yeah, those were solid, but uh, they never broke the top 10. 
please. I pressed my fingers white on the desk, leaving fingerprints on the finish, sure, but Sanji wouldn't mind that. All is forgiven when the ratings climb high enough. Just a little more. I know it's in there. The next big one, the next hit. Sanji leaned away from me. Maybe he thought he could catch my desperation. Maybe he just noticed I'd forgotten to bathe when I'd forgotten to eat. He spun his own cup and manicured fingers, took a 10 second sip and said through the steam. Fine, we're gonna up the dose. And then I wanna see the prelims on this idea you got. And it better be something better than raw. That was dismissal. That was last chance and don't fuck this up. I nodded, stood up fast. Thanks, Sanji, I mean it. You won't regret this. I didn't try to shake his hand. Waited as long as his insincere... Uh, don't mention it. Before I fled for the door. Carver. He caught me in the back with my fingers smearing the polished brass handle. You gotta take care of yourself, okay? You have a sandwich and a shower. The devil, as the old cliche goes, lies in the details, in the fine print, at the end of the story and in the payback. So the man makes his bargain and he gets what he wants, but he doesn't realize how much it will cost. And at the end, when it's time to pay, he regrets. But this realization always comes too late to save him. I never felt sorry for them. Those merchant damned, they knew what they were selling all along. We all do. I stopped for the sandwich, but only because the elevator and the vending machine share an alcove and I had to wait. I charged it to Sanji's account, left the wrapper crumbled on the expensive and offensive professional carpet in front of the machine like a discarded chrysalis. Cardboard bread and ink mayonnaise, something salty in the middle. <laughs> the wrapper claimed tuna, but I had doubts. I ate it anyway, one-handed, propped in the surgical steel corner of the lift and Watch the numbers drop below zero. LL1, LL2, LL3, last stop. Very fancy, these elevators, perfectly balanced. You can't tell you're going down until the jolt at the bottom, unless you watch the numbers. There's no view of the bay down here, no windows. Production keeps the creative consultants in the vaults below the parking level in concrete boxes with the built-in access to total darkness with keypads and quills and hollow sketcher, <laughs> with bed and bath and whatever else the muse requires, more secure than most financial in institutions. But then that's what we are, assets. Sanji may look out at the bay now, but he's only a VP's disapproval from picking up wrappers in front of the vending machines. I had to pass through a series of checkpoints to get up to my apartment, each guarded by a pair of stern-faced handlers. I've been here longer than most of them. They waved me through, wearing expressions that ranged from bored to twitching disgust. Only Maggie smiled. Red-haired Maggie with her violin curves and her constellation of freckles and her black coffee eyes. Carver, how are you? Maggie was one of my fans, my biggest. She'd said once with nothing but skin and wine between us, told me that I was the reason she'd gotten a job here because she'd seen Winter Crossing and just had to meet me, had to, told me. Only I can't do what you do, Carver. I, I wish I could. 
I didn't think Maggie had come here to stand behind ballistic glass and watch monitors. I figure she wanted a little magic to rub off so that maybe she'd move out of checkpoints and into an office like Sanji's. I think she has a better chance of making Sanji's tea for him, but I'll let her keep the dream. There's no magic to the muse. It doesn't work for everyone. You've got to have the ideas first, the basic urge to create, the vision. The muse facilitates the process, unlocks the pathways, streamlines the process, ensures consistent products and black bottom line. It was already time to feed the night shift. I could see on the far side of the checkpoint, the white coated text shuffling from apartment to apartment. Knock, wait, enter, pushing the little draped tray. I'm a night shifter. Sanji knew it. Sanji might have called down the prescription already, along with my bluff, create Carver or else. My muse might be there already, waiting on the tray by the door, like Maggie was waiting for me to answer, her smile cooling in her coffee eyes with her hand going limp on the switch. Carver? Don't bother, said the other handler. Scarza? I thought his name was, or Scarlatti? Something that sounded like disfigured pasta. Yeah, he's got his crazy face. Which I did. I knew I did. There was Muse waiting for me, and a checkpoint meat monkey wouldn't understand that. But I could still manage a civilized... Fine, thanks, Maggie. How are you? I even waited through her answer, whatever it was. I've got a story to tell. I blurted when I thought she'd finished, and in a spasm of inspiration, because it would annoy Scarza, it's going to be for you. Her mouth made a pretty O. She had freckles on her lips, tiny spots of darker rose blossoms under the resident pink. Me, but... And then I wriggled past her, shuffle dashing toward my room, my sketcher, my muse. Scarza's voice followed me, sharp and deliberate. Yeah, don't believe him, Megs. Fucking burnout. He's got no idea what he's saying. This is the new twist on the old tale. We sign our contracts in unimaginative black ink now, and there are no mysteries. Everything is legally sanitized. There are all the usual provisions and disclaimers, all the standard legal equipment, services rendered, costs and salaries, mutual responsibilities. There's a small print that details all the risks involved in what we're about to do. And do we understand? <laughs> of course we do. This is about markets and chemical enhancements and creating consistent output. This is about seeing your work recognized instead of a lifetime of romantic obscurity alone with your fickle muse. Hell doesn't wait at the far side of our contract and our producers don't ask for our souls. Everyone wins. In the end, I found the muse already waiting. Ten ampules neatly arranged on the tray. Clear whiskey gold inspiration. It's very nearly that expensive. Gold, I mean, not whiskey. Muse is a controlled substance, addictive and licensed, much like its end product. Time is money, and Sanji doesn't like to waste either one. I wiped the last of the sandwich on my trousers, rolled up a sleeve. Sanji had said shower first, but he'd sent me the Muse, and I'm a night shifter, and I could bathe afterwards in a morning or two when I had the next project imagined and written the first few times you inject, there's no blood. 
After you've ridden often enough, the skin thickens. The scars look like tiny white freckles, little spots where the melanin won't return. Pinprick inconvenience, the little price we pay for the ride. And then I hesitated, blood studded by a forearm and a lucky number line. Wrists to elbows. I'd worked successfully in five hits for years. A lot of begging to get number six and seven. I dimly recalled the warnings, small print that I dutifully skimmed while a legal rep tapped her pen on the table. A dire list of consequences. When the body can't ride anymore, rehab, and a chemical full stop guarantee that you'd never create again. Consultant understands and accepts the risks and absolves the company from all responsibility associated with any lasting ill effects which may result from this employment. Initial here, please. Maybe I didn't need all 10. Maybe I could get by on eight or nine. This could be a test. Sanji couldn't justify a repeated 10 ampule dose unless my work was superb. That he'd done it even once meant this was my very last chance. Subject understands that he, she may be reassigned if his or her work does not meet specifications. Sweat prickled and cooled on all my exposed surfaces. One wave, another that streaked the spots on my arms to pink and left my clothes damp in the creases. My heartbeat accelerated, my lungs rushed to keep up. Riding the muse requires a running jump. Any more hesitation and I wouldn't have enough motor control left to inject. Do you understand the risks, Mr. Y Carver? Yes, ma'am. I understand perfectly. I'd already lost most of my balance. My hands shook as I sprang the needles and added three new wounds to my arm. Had to hurry, stagger and bounce to the wall switch to black the overheads. A short crawl from there to the hollow sketcher. I crouched and arranged my knees on the padding, my shoulders and elbows in the slings. Sometimes you rode the muse and sometimes she rode you. Old joke, but I didn't want broken bones for a punchline. I had just enough coordination left to plug the sketcher's feeds into my wrists. Interface, enjoy the ride. The tingle started at the skin and bubbled down. Acid bath, ecstasy that took my consciousness with it. By the time it reached bone, I was wholly inside, spectator on a velvet cushion looking up at the vault of my skull. Fourth of July, Bastille Day, Chinese New Year. The fireworks bloomed like flowers. I saw potential inside every flash. Most of the explosions, vignettes with no future. Flash and fizzle and forgotten. But a fractured handful of them lingered. Fireworks became stars. Their sparks raining kisses on the backside of my eyelids. I held my imaginary breath and divided mental mitosis, sent my daughter selves out on reconnaissance. The muse guarantees us a pathway, nothing more. The consultant's job is to follow the paths and choose the most viable. It's a combination of talent and practice, luck too in the beginning until you learn your market. I hadn't needed luck in a long time. I discarded three of them immediately. Impossible done before, 
too strange. But you remained bright novi on the dome of my skull. I plunged self into each of them and pulled, stretched, shaped the stars. They became ribbons, thick and slick, and pulled, stretched, shaped. Sometimes the ends are frayed, but these were perfect, complete. And I had to waste one of them. You can't pull two back from one ride. Sanji wanted something accessible. I wanted an audience. We had the same goals. I imagined another plaque with my name on it and another season. I imagined the price of my failure. Once upon a time, I wouldn't have hesitated, would have known which narrative to pick. Red, blue, red, blue. The ribbons whipped and then spiraled, caught in the currents of my indecision. Sanji saved me. He sauntered out of the subconscious corner, fat man graceful. He stood beside the ribbons, ran his fingers the length of both, end to end. This one. This one, he told me. The red one, lucky color, war, love, violence, all the old cliches that never fail to please. No moralistic tales for me, no fantasies, not now and never again. Tan ampules, last chance. I chose the red. My inner Sanji beamed. The rejected blue ribbon drifted on subconscious breezes. As I began to retreat, it descended and draped itself around Sanji, wrapped and constricted and squeezed until his head and his smile burst like a bubble. Blood and brains dripped down the back of my eyelids. My heart stutter skipped, caught its balance. Keep your mind inside the vehicle until the ride comes to a complete halt. I caught my imaginary breath and pulled myself together, dragged the red ribbon behind me and fled. Sanji's dying scream followed me. It clung to the whisper scratch of my quill on the panels. It tangled with the sketcher's subliminal hum. It filled the space between molecules and vibrated against my skin like sand inside of a shoe. Ten ampules. Well, there were bound to be side effects. I built my images in the sketcher's REM and projected them onto the panels, static now, translucent, until I quilled them solid. Some of us hear the muse rather than see it. And for them, the pictures come second. But I always start with the visuals. They're my breadcrumbs in the forest, the ball of string I follow through the labyrinth. Picture, thousand words, all that. First, my hero protagonist, square-jawed and predictably handsome. He wouldn't be when I'd finished. 270 degrees around the room's perimeter, he'd be scarred and broken, striking a final bargain with the lover he jilted two images further to my left to save his true lady love in panel four, who'd understand his sacrifice only in the end. I scooped up a fistful of quills. I poked the first one into the panel, up to my wrist in heroic hollow flesh. The sketcher moaned a protest and out of the darkness and nowhere, I expected your last story to be good, Carver. This is disappointing. My quill tip slipped, snagged, snapped. I dropped the broken halves and rubbed the panic smooth, self-healing membrane. No harm done. Laughter like an interstate fatality. A dozen notes welded in discord. That's not true either. Toss the ruined quill, pull another one. This is normal. Just because I've never heard voices before doesn't mean anything. 
10 ampules. Sure, maybe now I get audio. Carver, I'm not one of your chemical inspirations. Look at me. I turned around. A stray sketcher image had assembled itself, a fragment from the other story, the one I wasn't showing to Sanji, the one that had strangled him in a fit of rejected peak. Something more realistic, Carver. Which she wasn't. Wild black hair, electric right, irises, and her hands, her hands red past the wrists. Pixel blood beaded and dripped off her fingers like she'd drawn a razor from wrist to elbow. A really good image, really clear. Maybe that was something I could salvage. My ending could use a little more drama. Maybe the heroine can't live with her grief. Maybe she tries suicide. The stray sketcher image shook its, her, her head. This needs far more than a new ending. It needs a funeral, a pyre. The muse doesn't carry on conversations. I wasn't crazy unless I talked back to the voice. It's not my last story. And it answered me. It is. And it's a terrible. And it's gonna kill you. I wrapped a fist around my quill. What do you mean? You took 10 hits. That's well above the safe dosage. No. I meant why is this terrible? The wild black hair snapped in a gale only she could feel. It's predictable. It's what Sanji wants. The hum had gotten louder, more shrill. Maybe it was a glitch on the boards. Some slow climb to overload. Surely the sketcher would explode in a shower of sparks. I crabbed toward it. Sanji would be angry if I wasted this ride, but I couldn't work with damaged equipment. It wasn't safe. A little late to think about safety car. I flipped the sketcher's power switch and she vanished. All my images died with her instant black extinction. I was left with the circumference of black walls marred only by the first lines of the narrative that still glowed on the panel screens. But the humming didn't stop. It spread out beyond the sketcher, invaded the black until the walls echoed with it. Keening now, a morning dirge, a banshee's prophetic howl. Appropriate, my last chance was already dead. Its threads unraveling as the muse abandoned me. I was going to fall off this ride with nothing to show for it. I was canceled, finished, on a short path to reassignment and rehab. Perhaps I could emulate the hallucination, open my wrists, and leave a present for the handlers when they checked on me. That would be better than a quiet spiral into last year in obscurity. Maggie would cry, but at least she'd remember me. The tingle warned me, tactile accompaniment to the rising feedback screech. The static charge built against my skin until each follicle stood stiff and expectant for a half beat. I thought about scrambling for the door, throwing myself into the hallway under Maggie's sympathy and Sanji's mercy. I stared at the sketcher and waited and hummed along. She reappeared in stages. First the black sketch outline, then the details, color, last and finally black hair, bloody hands. I wasn't surprised when she stepped off the hollow sketcher. You're wasting your time, Carver. She didn't cast any shadows, threw off enough light to pick out her details, just like a real hollow sketch image. 
I studied the afterthought glow on my skin, a little bit blue, like skim milk. It doesn't matter, I said. The ozone taste of her coated my tongue. The story's gone. Her eyes sparked and let tiny burns on my, left tiny burns on my cheeks. The keening hitched into something brief and ugly. She made a fist and punched through my forehead. White noise bloomed on both sides of my eyelids. I squinted through the static now and watched as she poked at Sanji's broken remains that the story still nodded around him. She shook it loose and I heard the murmur of other voices, narration, characters, ideas alive and still peeking. You have this one. The ribbon hung in our hands, pristine and undamaged and perfect, a promise, a challenge. I could take it. I could write it without the sketcher's help and fill all the images in later, break all my patterns, but it isn't what Sanji wants. Who cares what Sanji wants? What do you want? Renewal for another season, my name on awards, for you to go away. I squeezed my eyes shut, locked myself in. She stepped carefully around Sanji's remains and ran sanguine hands along the inner curves of my skull. Her fingers dragged silence behind them that lingered for a crystal cool heartbeat. She took a double handful of me as if I was no more than the story wrapped around her wrist and pulled me back into the meat. I spilled out into a darkness lit only by electric eyes and wild hair and the crimson after image wherever her hands touched the story. My story dangled from her hand. I can't do that, Carver. Not until you're finished. Which wouldn't be long. The ride was over. As the muse and I broke down together, she was herself no more than a biochemical malfunction. My dying vision, who offered me a quill that somehow wasn't stained, that somehow didn't slide through her skin like my own fingers did. I took it and felt the muse ripple dance on my nerves. The blue ribbon flared and dissolved and sank all the way into my marrow. It was a brilliant story. Maybe the best thing I'd ever conceived. One more chance, she murmured. I stabbed my quill into the panel. In the old stories, the partner always repents. He always claims he'd been cheated or duped or that what he paid is worth so much more than what he got in return. The audience is supposed to pity him as the devil drags him to hell. And they're supposed to turn to each other afterwards and nod and murmur, ha, poor bastard, but that's what he gets. They're supposed to feel smug and satisfied, even lucky, that they themselves don't want something that badly, that they're too smart to enter into a bargain like that. People shouldn't overreach. Let this be a lesson to you. And that's how I know the stories aren't true. It's not intellect or prudence or superior morality that keeps more people from making deals with metaphorical devils. It's a lack of opportunity and it's a lack of courage. Metal rattled against itself, keys and lock. I used to think it was funny that corporate millions couldn't buy a silent door. <laughs> now I know they do it on purpose, a courtesy in case we're so deep in a project we don't notice the time. And oh, I hadn't. My skull felt too small, my mouth too dry, and I had pain that started at the base of my neck and spiraled all the way into my fingertips. 
My back ached all the way through to my stomach. My eyes wouldn't quite focus. I recognized the symptoms. Tendon, muscle, body shriveled dry with neglect. The words blurred and smeared on the panels. Had to remember to blink, had to remember to swallow. Time's up, Carver, the muse whispered. God, not yet, wait just a second. I knew how the story ended. All I needed was a working quill, a little more ink to finish. I dropped one quill and snatched up another. Batch of defectives like all the other equipment. This ride with ink that dried too fast, with tips that gouged barren marks on the panel unless I paid close attention. I shook out the new quill, pressed the tip hard into the membrane and smiled when the ink welled and beaded on the tip. Gentler this time, a murmur that slid under my skin like a razor flincing membrane from muscle. Carver, it's time. Almost there, I whispered. Almost, almost. The door ceased its protest. Like everything else around here, it learns to get along. A crack of light split the dim, invaded spread, and was filled and turned by a pair of uneven body-shaped shadows. Carver? Maggie? And Scarza's deeper rumble, Soto Settle. Yeah, Christ, it stinks in here. How the hell is he work in the dark? Carver, where are you? Maggie's shadows swelled against the wall. Oh, there you are. Y you had me. Oh my God, Scarza. Light gushed down from the overheads and spilled across the panels, across me. I flinched and squeezed my eyes into slits. I tried to stand and couldn't know. Too many hours at work and my body wouldn't obey. I rolled my back against the panel and shielded my eyes with my hands. It's fine. I'm working. It's almost done. Jesus. Scars' stare ricocheted between the panels and my pile of broken quills. I'll call the medics. He fled, his jacket flapping like a wounded crow. Maggie remained, with her fingers laced over her mouth. A thin cry escaped between her fingers. Of course I must look awful after so long, after one sandwich and no shower. I tried to tell her it wasn't that bad, that I'd cleaned up okay. I'd get right on that one side. I looked down at my fingers and forgot all about Maggie. The quill must have broken again. Ink spilled over my hands and dripped between my fingers. I'd never really looked at the ink before. When, when had Sanji ordered red? Static flesh, the smell of ozone and sticky metal. Carver? Third time, final summoning. The muse crossed in front of me, pulled my gaze with her. The lights tunneled down to bearable dark, except for the hollow sketcher glow. My muse, my bloody-handed muse. I'm not finished, but of course I was. Her eyes dimmed and surged in an inconsistent current current. I waited as long as I could, and she had warned me first. I hadn't expected that kindness. I glanced back at Maggie, 
tried to summon regret and couldn't. The muse game became, the muse got between us, touched my lips with bloody fingers, another offer with no contracts, no promises. Come with me, Carver. I took her hand and All right, that's the end. Megan, I had an accident. Oh my goodness. So for those of you who are listening, Jeremy got a little blood on his hands during that story. <laughs> oh no. It's when you work so hard on acting and it's it's true. So um John, thank you so much for performing with us tonight. Thank you, John. Um, thank John you for having is, me. Nice to be John is a wonderful actor and among his other many talents is he's also a fantastic writer. If you would like to learn more about his, his writing, you can go to johnzelazny.com. That's J-O-N-Z-E-L-A-Z-N-Y.com. His um, latest release is the short story Radio Such in, in Switchblade number 12, which is a Los Angeles-based crime fiction digest. And that is available in print as well as download on Amazon. By the John, way, he's also going to be on the season, which we're really excited uh, about. Yes, yes. Uh, so you will uh, fortunately get to see John again uh, later on in the season. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank Thanks, you, John. John. You Peace killed it. All right, <laughs> great job. So unfortunately, we did uh, we did lose Cyan, but um, Jeremy did such a wonderful job with the reading. Thank you so much for uh, for stepping in there at the last minute. You'll um, see Cyan again. Don't worry. Yeah. So, um, are we ready to crank cranky? Do it, crank cranky. All right. So tonight's cranky talk. So tonight's uh, Cranky Talk is going to be us jabbing on about how much we connected to and liked Kat's story. And Kat, uh -huh. I want to say, you said Kat, so I'll say Kat. But Kay Eason, she's like really a great person. Yes, absolutely. She's just really lovely and we were so excited to have her, her story on the show. I personally really resonated with this story today because I spent the weekend working really hard on a new draft of a feature that I'm working on. And so I just, be, you know, because I was so like harried and like, you know, didn't bathe and I was like so into it and just like, where's my inspiration that I really resonated. <laughs> I kept thinking about this story this weekend and I was like, I'm in it, I'm on the muse. Did you go, my muse, my muse. <laughs> well, I just felt like I was kind of, you know, hyped up on inspiration and the muse. And it, it did make me think like, I feel like I've taken a drug. It's, it's, I, I mentioned this to you, Megan, but I've had my boyfriend say before, you need to eat, Jeremy, you need to eat. So Kay Eason really hit it. Like this piece really reminds me a lot of, uh, Megan, have you seen Black Swan? I have seen Black Swan. That feel at the end where she just wants something that is perfect. Like, I know that I've been there. Like, I, I know that you've been there too, where you're just frustrated because you see it in your head. Like I'm feeling it now. You see it in your head, right? <laughs> and you bleed for it, but nothing comes up. <laughs> nothing comes up. Nothing at all. 
Yeah, it's it's so true. When you're when you're a writer, when you're an artist, I'm sure other artists, uh, visual artists, sculptors, etc., have oh, all had that. Every single person. They've all had that moment where it's like you would be will you would you're so wrapped up in what you're creating that you would be willing to sacrifice all for whatever it is. It's like you you kind of leave yourself and you're on another plane and you are. Well, you've like, revealed something about you, Megan. I wouldn't sacrifice everything. Uh, well, maybe not everything. Megan would but... sacrifice her soul. You know she would. <laughs> I guess I I just love being connected to that creative. I do too. It's it's like a meditation. Like it's a spiritual. It, yeah. I mean, like she hit it. Like she just hit it so well. It's like a, a spiritual thing. I'm sorry about my voice on it. Like like it's just like when you read it like i really recommend you read it like it's like an ethereal experience when the muse is like going towards you yeah absolutely i mean she really does she really does um hit it on the head when it when it comes to being a creator uh, and i love um i think you mentioned this before jeremy that you found this story really cinematic and i oh so cinematic she should do this into a movie like I, I could. I wish see I could see her face as she's rolling her eyes or excited. <laughs> I don't. I don't know which one. Oh my goodness! This is the most exciting part, guys. Oh my goodness! So, um, speaking of Kate Eason, uh, we have her coming on right <laughs> now. Oh my goodness! So, um, uh, hi there. I had to unmute hi. myself. I was you know, being all quiet. Thanks so, for having me. That was great. Yay. Thank you for being here. So just um, so we can brag about you for a, a few seconds before we get into the interview. Um, so this is not Kay Eason's first story by any means. Um, her short fiction can be found in um, Jabberwocky 4, Cross Genres, and Kaleidotrope, among other um, pieces. And she is also the author of the On the Bones of God trilogy and the Thorn Chronicles. So she is well, um, well versed. And Jeremy is holding. I up. have it prepared, y'all. I read this and it's great. It's really great. <laughs> and she's going to talk a little bit more up. about the second one. Yeah, uh, Jeremy's holding up the the cover of her first book. Which, uh, Jeremy, can you hold it up again? Oh, of course I can. <laughs> which is How Rory Thorne Destroyed the Multiverse by Kaysen. So excellent. So welcome, welcome, Kate Ethan. Thank you so much again for, for being here. Um, first off, I mean, I would just like to know a little bit about what inspired you for this story. I mean, you guys pretty much talked about it. It's being a writer <laughs> and being like, you're staring at the blank page and you're staring at the blank page and you're getting super frustrated and you've got the ideas, they're in your head, you can see them, but you can't make the words happen. And you just, gah! Yeah. And just that feeling of what what would I give? This is this is one of the stories that I'd written before I had gotten an agent or or been, you know, seriously published yet um at all. I think I had one short story published and I was like, "Oh my god. What would I <laughs> what would I do? What oh my god, that. Yes. Do? Yes. And, and that that's where it came from. That frustrated desperation. So what would you give up, Kay? I don't know. I don't, I mean, now I'm old and cranky. Now you're successful. I didn't give anything up. Well, sleep. <laughs> I gave up sleep. Sleep and yeah, lots of sleep mostly. I'm because, curious, you know, how do you, uh, how do you connect with Carver? Like on, on the one hand I get him. On the other hand, I think, dude, 
get a grip. Get a grip. I don't. Yeah. You know, the, the whole bargain, the bargain of what would you pay for it? That was, that's not me. I'd at the end of the day be like, and you know what? Okay. I'm not going to be a writer. I'm going to go. I don't even know. I'll go knit things. I'll go be a teacher more. I'll be more of a teacher than I already am. But uh, I connect with Carver's desperation. I don't connect with the going too the, far. The going the, the the Faustian bargain. Uh, but that always fascinates me. The selling of a yeah. soul. All right. Sure. Yeah, it's it's really obvious too that like you have like experience with the classics and stuff. Like I could see, I could see like with the muse and everything, and also from reading. Uh, uh, how Rory Thorne destroyed the multiverse. I could tell that you really liked mythology and stuff. Am I right? Or am I making oh, yeah. that up? I, my degrees are in English. I have got degrees okay. in okay, English. Good. I have read many, many things. Thank all goodness things. she doesn't say I'm wrong. No, no I'm a mathematician. No, no, no. Totally, that, totally. Which I, I seriously also, I'm going to just keep plugging your book. I hope it's not too annoying That's for you. But what I love about this book and what she just brought up is she uses, this is the first time I've seen it, but the magic in this world is mathematical. Like they have to do equations in, or, in order to get like the wizardry right. And I just think that's so intriguing. I just think that's what makes it impossible. It's magic because the oh, math so is there. Good. That, I would not be a magician in that world. That's just the truth. Sorry, I put us in a tangent, Megan. No, that's okay. Um, great talk. Uh, I have one more question. I just wanted to know if you could talk a little bit about like, what was the hardest part of this story? Like, was there a particular moment that like, you had to write and rewrite or, or um, something that like bumped you that you couldn't quite figure out? I mean, the whole process of writing a short story is bloody miserable to me. Um, <laughs> painful. I would rather write the novel. Uh, honestly, this, this story went through, it started completely different. It started more of a fan, kind of a, can I swear? Fucked up? Yeah. Fucked up fan? I'm swearing. It's, it's my life. <laughs> she did it. <laughs> this image of a person who was writing on the walls of an asylum, you know, and he was oh. writing in pencil. So when that came up, he was writing in other things. So I just had this image of this person just writing on the walls. And I tried to write that and it went poorly. And it was terrible. <laughs> and, I, and I crumpled it up in a metaphorical bin and just stuck it in a folder on my hard drive and ignored it for years and years and years. And finally, I, one day I was like, okay, all right, let's pull this out and see what we can do with it because otherwise your life sucks and has no meaning, figure this out. And then I just, that's when it moved into being more science fiction because I had been reading, I don't even remember, I was probably reading, rereading William Gibson for the 500th time and thinking, what if this were cyberpunky? What if this were tech instead of, and then that sort of happened. So yes, there was a hitch, but it was the hitch between the first draft and the second draft, which took years because I uh. suck at short stories and they're super hard and they make me upset. <laughs> what What is it about, uh, is it the length that bothers you about short stories that you struggle yeah. with? Yeah, because I, I get into the, oh, and then there's this happening. And it, it's it's keeping that focus because I'm not a planner. I'm a pantser. And I have to figure mm. things out as I go. Like Rory Thorne, that big fat book was supposed to be a short story. 
<laughs> and I got to the end of the first chapter and I was like, oh no. <laughs> oh no, this is a book. Oh no. Oh so no. I, oh no. <laughs> so then I wrote it. Um, but yeah, that's short stories. It's just, it's keeping them compressed and keeping them small. That's that I have a really hard time with. Do you think you're ever going to do a short story again? Oh, yeah, I don't know. Don't don't even <laughs> ask me that. Don't ask me that. Yeah, take it back the question. I'm taking it back the question. Because if I, I say no, then tomorrow I'll wake up and be like, I have a thing to do today. I'm going to write oh, a story. That's it. That's yeah, so it. Don't, don't mess with me, man. I got revisions to do. Don't mess with me. Don't, mm, stop it. Hey, I did want to say that you were talking about writing on the wall and stuff mm -hmm. and that you you started over with the story. I still feel that in there. Like well, I still because feel the sketchers are on the walls because I thought yeah. well, what if what if we were, you know, picture worth a thousand words and all that, but what if we were writing on the walls? Because you always watch the sci-fi cinema yeah. cinema cinema cinematic stuff. And you always see they're doing those big gestures on the screens. And I thought, wow, what if would that help my writing if I could write on a wall and draw pictures and write with a pen? Which who does that? Who does that anymore? I think Neil Gaiman still does that. He writes everything longhand. Okay, we just had someone say they love hearing your artistic process. Oh, tell them thank you. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. Oh, well, they can hear us. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Airhead. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm so used to Zoom where everything is, you know, it's locked up. And oh, this is yeah. a recording for later. Anyway. Also, your comment about writing on the wall made me think of um, the music video on YouTube to um, Come On Up to the House the the song by um oh my goodness his name escapes me at the moment but if you uh google come on up to the house it's this wonderful um just it's like all the words are written all over and you're kind of making this like 360 turn tom waits and you're, tom waits thank you oh my gosh oh, that was our I, producer so that was not me i would never i'm have so embarrassed that. that i couldn't think of tom waits I, i'm a huge tom waits fan and i could not think of his name but anyway if you if you look at his um, his uh, YouTube video for for come on up to the house, it is it is really cool and it, it, it's just like writing everywhere. Oh, the wall. That's so cool. yeah, so I would I would uh, highly recommend that. Um, well, uh, Kat, is there anything else that you would like to um, say about your story or about? I want to uh, hear about her book. She has a book coming out. I would want to hear about that. Yeah, tell us about your new book. Um, uh, without spoilers, so um, how the multiverse got its revenge is coming next next Tuesday, October twenty seventh. I don't know what day it is. It's Zoom time, but yeah, it's October twenty seventh. So, yeah, uh, I wish I had a copy to show you, but I don't. Um, but it's it's got the the same cool cover art because we have the most amazing artist who's doing the the covers for those books. But it's um if the first story is more of a, a fairy tale, and the second story is what happens when happily ever after isn't anymore. Oh, I love it. So without giving a ton away, that's that's what it's gonna, it's the same characters, but it gets a little darker and it gets a little, okay, the fairy tale's over. Quite literally, the fairy tale's over. Now what? Oh, I so. love that. I love that. Now I now I have to read the first book and then move directly. I'll be, I'll be quarantine traveling this over to you with a mask. <laughs> okay. Just, just put it in a bag on the porch, and then just knock on the door and run away. Wait, a, wait, a, wait, yeah, like a week. I hope the cover doesn't disintegrate when I rub it with um, hand sanitizer. <laughs> I would recommend bright sun, perhaps instead of hand sanitizer. I'm just but, saying. Uh, 
Good. By the way, I'm not ill if people are thinking that this is in context to this, this is makeup. No, no, this is just um, precautions. <laughs> They're like, why is he together. doing this and he's sick? Because <laughs> we're in California and we're being careful. Yes, yes, sure exactly. Are. We are being We are being careful for sure. Well, uh, Kat, thank you so much again for, for coming onto the show and for letting us share your story. I really appreciate it. Thank you and, so much um, for having me. It's been great. Oh, of course, of course. And if you would like to know more about um, Kat's work, you can go to her website, which is um, www.mythhistoria.com. And all of her work is, uh, her books are going to be available uh, for your purchase on Amazon. So uh, definitely check those out. Thank you, Kay. Thank Thanks. you. Have, Have a good night. night. Thank you. Bye. -bye. Bye. <gasps> oh my goodness. So episode two, season two down. That was so great. Uh, if you haven't already, please go to our YouTube page and like, and subscribe, leave us a comment. Let us know what you thought of Kat's story um, and how you related to it and, and, and what you thought. We would love to hear your, your comments. We're on all the podcasts channels so if you don't like looking at our faces you can listen to our voices alone we're on stitcher we're on apple Podcasts. we're on amazon we are on spotify uh we're also on social media so you can follow us on instagram and facebook and twitter and throw us some twitter love using the hashtag nrss podcasts also you can check out all of our episodes on nobodyreadshortstories.com where you can also Buy yourself some nobodyreadshortstories.com merchandise. Which I'm not going to pick it up because I got fake oh, blood. Okay. But uh, Jeremy we have a pillow behind. A pillow. It's it's purple. It's orange. It's white. It's black. It's all of the Nobody Read Short Stories uh, colors. And it can be yours. Uh, so please go and check out our merchandise. All of the, the proceeds from the merchandise we are uh, donating to literacy programs after we recoup our little bit of um, overhead. So um, it's not only are you supporting us, but we are paying it forward. So we appreciate anything. And if you just want to donate to the show, there's a little uh, PayPal button and you can um, give us a donation if you would like, but there's no pressure. Megan, I'm gonna plug you. Okay, go, go for it. Megan Morrison's amazing. <laughs> you can find out information about her on MeganAMorrison.com. Anytime she has updates, she's going to give them to you. Uh, and Jeremy Ray is awesome. And if you go to his website, jeremyraystories.com, and sign up for notifications every week, you will receive a brand new story right in your email box. Yes. All right. I think that's it. I think that's all. Uh, tune in next week for drum roll. I'm doing a drum roll. The Station by Joshua Adams uh, in honor of, if you can believe it or not, next week is Halloween. So this is going to be our, our most Halloween-y story. So please tune in to get into the mood and get ready. This will be a thrilling fast-paced horror about a woman's ill-fated stop at a gas station in the middle of nowhere. Don't miss out. It's not what you think. So make sure that you come and you watch and you listen. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Good night. No one reads short stories anymore.
really don't know what they're written for. Go write a short story and throw it out the door. Cause no one reads short stories, funny, sad, or gory. No one reads short stories anymore. Yes, no one reads short stories anymore.